I turn your attention to the book of Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 as we continue uh, speaking to you about this uh, year of Jubilee. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. We have talked about being anointed. We have talked about being called to preach the gospel of the poor. We have talked about healing the brokenhearted. But today, I want to talk to you from that phrase, to preach deliverance to the captives. Our subject this morning is simply deliverance from captivity. Deliverance from captivity. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. John Gerard was a 16th century Jesuit priest who is remembered as one of the only people to ever escape from the notorious Tower of London. Gerard was put in the tower for carrying out his faith and his religious missions during a time when the Catholic Church was under great persecution in England. He endured frequent interrogations and Despite never breaking, even under torture, he was eventually sentenced to death. Gerard immediately began planning an escape and was able to communicate with allies on the outside via smuggled notes that were written in an invisible ink made from orange juice. It's amazing how creative you can be when you're trying to escape captivity. After one failed attempt, Gerard was able to make his escape when some accomplices rowed a boat into the tower's moat and managed to get a rope up to him. Gerard almost fell to his death because his hands were so injured from torture, he was hard for him to hang on to the rope. But he managed to climb down to the boat and was smuggled out of England to eventually live the rest of his life in Rome. We have read the famous stories of escapes from Alcatraz or the escape of John Dillinger who once carved a make-believe pistol out of a bar of soap and escaped from his captors in the state of Ohio. In terms of size and scope, though, probably no prison escape compares to the 1944 escape of 76 Allied soldiers from Stalag Luft III, a German prison camp that was about 180 miles southeast of, of uh, Berlin. And it operated as a prisoner of war camp for officers and eventually expanded to other um, areas of captivity. But originally it was designed for the capture of servicemen, both from the Royal Air Force of England and also from America. And they designed this particular prison where there was a lot of white sand that was just beneath the soil and it would be hard to, to dig and bury out, uh, you know, uh, dig a tunnel and to and to uh, go down and out and try to escape because the sand was white beneath the surface. It would be hard uh, for you to remove that without it becoming visible. And so they designed it where, you know, the soil was such that it would be hard to uh, dig a tunnel and escape. But yet, a famous movie was made from this called The Great Escape. The escape was the culmination of over a year of work by some 600 prisoners. The men dug three tunnels. They were nicknamed Tom, Dick, and Harry. That's what they nicknamed them. 
And it was a good strategy. Their strategy was to dig more than one tunnel in case one was discovered. They could keep on going, and that's exactly what happened. The, uh, the German officers discovered uh, Tom and Dick, but they didn't discover Harry. And 30 feet beneath the surface of the prison, Harry was this long tunnel that went out. They thought they had it perfectly designed where it would come up in the woods, but it actually came up just a little bit short of the woods. But still, they had this sophisticated construction process. And once again, they had to deal with the soil that was sand and unstable. And they would take pieces of wood down there from their, underneath their bunk beds, and they would try to shore up the walls. And, and they had a series of lamps and even a pump uh, to make sure that the soldiers or the uh, prisoners digging had enough air to breathe. And so they were finally able to have this escape, and they, and they had a number of prisoners that went out, but all of them but three were recaptured. And I thought about all of these great escapes of history, and yet when you think about all of these different uh, stories of people that have worked hard to try to escape from their captivity, none of them really compares to the great escapes that the Bible records. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that God specializes in escape from captivity. And there is no greater stronghold than sin, greater than Alcatraz or the London Tower or a German prison camp, is the grip of sin that holds people captive every day. There's something about captivity, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional or mental, there's something about captivity that causes a person, each and every one of us, to look for an escape. There's something inside of each and every one of us that wants to believe that tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. That we'll be able to finally come to our destiny of what God has called us and designed us and created each of us to be. But it is the job of the prison and the prison personnel to take that hope away. Doesn't matter what it is. I met a man several years ago when I was in San Francisco visiting a friend of mine, Brother Chris Rossetti, who was my youth leader as a, as a young man and my quiz coach. And I was there visiting with Brother Chris Rossetti, and we were able to go and do some tours. And we went to the, uh, took a boat over to Alcatraz. And uh, it was this, you know, it's of course shut down now, but it was this, this prison that's on an island in the bay there outside of San Francisco. And I went there, and we were just doing a tour, and there was a man there who uh, was a prisoner in Alcatraz. He was an old man now. Of course, he'd been out for many, many years. And he had written a book, and uh, he had a little table set up, and, and uh, he was signing books and talking about his experience of being a prisoner there in Alcatraz. And I sort of got intrigued with this man and stood there and talked with him for a while and, and bought his book. And he, he was an old man now in his late 80s, and he, he uh, began to talk a little bit about what it was like to, to be a prisoner in this particular uh, prison, Alcatraz. They called it the rock, you know. And he said that every day, we were reminded as prisoners that no one had ever escaped. That this prison would be our tomb. Every day, all of the subtle signs, the slamming of the steel doors, the thick, cold walls of the island of death. He said it hung in our minds every day. They took away our hope, he said. Every day, little by little, they took away our hope. 
until we had no fight left, until there was no hope of escape that was left. Five years ago, I think they got some pictures, they'll show you this, but five or six years ago when we were in Israel, we met a man there by the name of Jackie Handeli, who was a Greek Jew. He was 85 years old at the time. That's him with Brother Joel Urshan and myself. He was a Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz. He had been a prisoner in Auschwitz, the German concentration camp in Poland, where more than 1.1 million people were executed, including his mother and father and his brothers. He went as a 15-year-old boy, and he was in Auschwitz for two years and one month. He spoke for over an hour to our group, and he told us how that all hope was taken away, that he would ever see the daylight of freedom. He showed us the number that is tattooed on his arm and reminded us that captivity changes you, and it tries to hold you mentally and emotionally, even if you are successful in getting physical freedom. And every person who has ever gone to Auschwitz has got a number tattooed on their arm if they were one of the fortunate few to survive. He told about his experience. I asked him how he dealt with the loss of his family in Auschwitz. And he said, I deal every day with the guilt of why I survived and my family did not survive. Every day, he says, I have to be reminded that I have survived for a reason that I was able to be set free for a reason. I've come to tell this great church today that everybody who has the privilege to be in the presence of God without the weight of sin hanging like an anvil around your neck, you have a reason and a purpose for why God has set you free from the clutches of sin. I rise today to tell you, that we have a responsibility with the freedom that we have been given. I sat in an airport last night in Dulles, uh, right on the outskirts of Washington, D.C., flying down from New Brunswick, Canada, where we were for Brother, Brother Vinnie DeMerchant's funeral, and then coming into Toronto, and then from Toronto to uh, Dulles. And I sat there close to where the board is as I watched as United Airlines delayed our airline one day, one hour after another, after another. This is only after last week coming from Indiana. They totally canceled our flight when the flight attendants didn't show up or got sick. So I sat there by that board and I watched the airline put up the numbers, now delayed till seven, now delayed till eight, dialed it. And I looked and right in front of me was this big sign. And it was a big sign of a, of a man in a wheelchair, a young man. And there was a big caption that said, he went to fight for freedom, and now he struggles for independence. And I stood there and I looked at this sign. It was a man who had gone and fought in those Middle Eastern states and had gone, of course, you know, all that's gone on over the past several years in and, and Afghanistan and Iraq and whatnot. And he was in a wheelchair, and he was a young man. And it said he went to fight for freedom, and now... He struggles for independence. And as I looked at that sign, he's now in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And I looked at that and I realized the biggest battle that he faces is not necessarily the fight that he had in Afghanistan or Iraq, but it's now the fight that he's got every day 
for the rest of his life. And that is, why was I injured? Why am I confined to this chair? Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you that people struggle with a lot of different captivities. There's a lot of different prisons. And there's a lot of different struggles. But there is one common denominator that has brought us all together today. And that is that when the devil tried to take away your hope and to steal your sunshine, that tomorrow would be better than yesterday. There was a God that stepped onto the shores of your horizon and reminded you that as long as you're alive, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. There is a plan. There is a purpose. And ladies and gentlemen, there is deliverance from captivity. The writer of Psalms 38 expressed this dilemma when we read in verse 3 through verse 7, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how the enemy tries to paint it, sin is a hard taskmaster. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds sink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. The text begins and ends with that phrase that I haven't been able to get away from. There is no soundness in my flesh. One of the most difficult aspects about serving God is that the biggest enemy that we fight is not one that we can escape from on our own. It is not one that we can be removed from without spiritual help. We can't run from it. We can't ignore it. We have to face it and we have to defeat it. Not once, not twice, but every day. And that is our own flesh. Paul said, I die daily. Every day he had to keep this flesh under submission because he wants to keep rising up. This is what the children of Israel dealt with every day in the wilderness. Yes, they had the great escape of the miraculous Red Sea opening up and then closing on their pursuing captors. But they were still in captivity emotionally and mentally. They simply changed their prison from Egypt to the wilderness, not because it was the plan of God, but because they could not escape their own flesh. I rise today to tell you it is the greatest prison of all time. Our own flesh, our own emotions, our own perceptions. Why do most people that go through drug rehab centers end up back on drugs? Why do most people that go through alcoholic treatment centers end up back on alcohol? Because the grip cannot be broken without spiritual intervention. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a Savior. And our Savior is not another man. And our Savior is not our own discipline. And our Savior is not our own flesh. And our Savior is not our own mind. We need a God, hallelujah, that robed himself in flesh and came and shed his blood on the hill called Golgotha. And he broke the curse of sin. 
Oh, I feel like thanking the Lord for that right now. Would you lift your voice and thank God for Calvary that broke a clutch of sin. Not only does the curse of sin have to be broken, but so does the curse of flesh. This prison, ladies and gentlemen, has more than one wall. And you're not free until you get over each one of them. The first wall is recognition. Recognition. You have to recognize that you're in a prison. The first thing you've got to do is recognize that you're in prison. You've got to recognize that you are not going to make it unless God helps you. Recognition is that first line. If you think you're fine just the way you are, then you'll not try to escape. If you're content to live a life of regret, then that's the life you'll live. If you're content to live beneath God's promises for your life, then you'd have to just learn to live with it. But you have to recognize that I'm in prison. That this is not my lot in life. That I don't have to always live this way. I don't have to always struggle. The devil wants to convince you that you're going to have to just learn to live with it. Even AA, and I know they do great work, but they start out their meetings, you know, I'm an alcoholic. That's not the way God works. When you come to the Lord, He changes your identity. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be a drug addict. I used to be an adulterer. Come on, somebody. You get a change of identity when you come to the Lord. He makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. But without that recognition, without that recognition that you're in captivity, that you've made a mess of things. All those things that we've just mentioned are true unless you recognize that there is a different path and that there is hope. And you don't have to just resign yourself to live under the curse. Well, my daddy was an alcoholic, my great-granddaddy was an alcoholic, I guess I'm going to be. No, you don't have to be that way. And there's a lot of different, I don't, I'm not trying to pick on alcohol or drugs. There's a lot of different things that happen that come down through and we say, well, that's the curse of my father and the third generation and blah, blah, blah. I've come to tell you, none of that can hold you captive when a man or a woman said, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of fighting. I need God to heal my marriage. I need God to heal my finances. God called me not to be the tail, but to be the head. God's got something greater for me. I'm not going to sit here and die. Dig a tunnel. Do something. But it's time for a jailbreak. Mm. Not all sin is obvious. Not all captivity is obvious. You came to my house and you saw my dog Liberty running around the backyard with no fence. You'd think she's free to run around the neighborhood, but she will not leave the yard. I can be gone for seven days and she will not leave. 
the yard because there is an underground fence. It's not visible, but it is very much real in the mind of liberty. Funny that we called her liberty and gave her that name and then immediately captured liberty. If she gets close to that line, though it's invisible to you and I, she will start to immediately move back from it. Because when she was small, there were little white flags around the yard where that, that line was, and she had a collar, and when she got close to that line, she would get a little bit of a shock and she would jump back. Well, now she's big, now there's no more flags, and she seldom even wears the collar. But when she gets close to the invisible line, even though she may not have on a collar, even though she may not have any immediate reminders, she doesn't realize that the pain is not there anymore. And if she wanted, she could just jump the line and run all over the neighborhood. But she doesn't. She doesn't think she's in prison. She thinks she's in paradise. <laughs> she has no desire to leave. You can try to coax her over the line with cheeseburgers. And she'll just sit right there and not come anywhere near you. Some of our prisons, ladies and gentlemen, are from things that happened to us a long time ago. And it's invisible to everybody else. They can't see it. But we can feel it. The white flags have been gone a long time. But just when we get close to getting a breakthrough, we retreat back and we learn to live in the backyard when God is calling you to a life of freedom. I've come to tell you that the devil is a liar. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I've come to tell you that there's a God that wants to set you free if you can recognize the fact you're still living below the promises of God. You're still not to where God wants you to be. It's time for there to be deliverance from captivity. So I'm challenging someone today to jump the line. I'm challenging somebody to jump the line. There's been times you've been in the presence of God before and you felt God pulling you, but just as you got ready to come to that altar, you would back up like liberty does and retreat back to that area of familiarity. God's calling you today to jump the line. Ignore the white flags. What are the white flags? Those are the flags of surrender. And going back to your life of captivity. Why don't you let God make you what he designed you to be? Where every day you could wake up and say, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Mm. None of that will happen unless you recognize that you're in prison. Now the second thing that you have to do is that you have to realize. Once you recognize you're in a prison... You have to realize that you cannot do it without God's help. That's the second thing you got to do is realize you can't do it on your own. God came and stood in the fire with the three Hebrew children. 
God closed the mouths of the lions in the prison when Daniel was thrown in. God sent an angel to the prison where Peter was and walked him out. The doors opening on their own as they got close to him like they were going to Walmart. You can read about it in the book of Acts. I mean, he was chained. Peter was chained to two different soldiers. And the angel came and stood him up and chains were falling and coming off their feet and they're walking and doors are opening up. Why? Because God comes to you in your prison. He doesn't wait for you to get out of prison and then come visit him on his white throne. He comes to where you are, in the fire, in the den, in the prison, in the heartache, in the mess. God comes to where you are. If I can, if you'll allow me to stay with this analogy with my dog. Sometimes when I, I come in and I pull into the driveway, Liberty will come around the side and she knows where that line is and she stops and she sits there and then she just cries. And I get out of the car and I go, hey Liberty, how you doing? And she sits there and cries and she wants me to come and play with her, which I do and I'll, I'll go over there and I'll play with her and then sometimes she has this move that she makes where she kind of backs up and she backs up and puts her tail over against my leg and that means she wants me to pick her up because over the years Liberty and I have learned something and that is that if I pick her up she doesn't worry about the invisible line because she knows she's safe in my arms if I pick up Liberty she don't mind she'll go with me wherever I take her because she knows she's never been hurt one time when she was in the arms of her master. Oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, I want to tell somebody today that God will come to you to where you are and he'll pick you up in his arms and you don't have to worry about it. He won't ever hurt you. He won't ever embarrass you. You're safe in the arms of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't have to worry about it. God is on my side. If I can just get under the shadow of the cross, not only will Jesus forgive me, but I'll forgive myself. We need the blood of Jesus to break the curse of sin. So i got to stay in his arms. Salvation is the act of setting the captives free, but that process begins with repentance, but it doesn't stop there. The next thing that has to happen, these are different walls as you get over and you get out of this prison, of this captivity called sin. You have to recognize that you're in captivity. You have to realize that you can't do it on your own. If I can say it this way, you realize you need help from somebody on the outside. All these prison escapes that I read about, they all had an accomplice. They had help from somebody on the outside. Boy, you got to realize you need help from somebody on the outside. You got to realize that God, hallelujah, is not a God who's just some distant, mystical, magical mysterious deity he's a God that is as close as the mention of his name day or night you can call on the name of Jesus and he'll be there right by your side 
Mm, I feel doors opening already in my spirit today. Are you getting ready for a jailbreak? Woo, hallelujah. The third thing is you've got to have a revelation of who you are. Recognition, realization, and revelation. You've got to have a revelation of who you are. When it came time to go into the promised land, the children of Israel could not go. You know why? Because they never got a revelation that they were not prisoners anymore. That they were the chosen people of God. They came back from spying out the land, and they said, and here you get a little snapshot of what their thinking was. They said, we are as grasshoppers in their sight. We're just little. We're just meaningless. We're just prisoners. Because for 400 years, they've been told by their captors. I'm tired of the devil telling people, you're always going to be in sin. You're always going to be hooked on pornography. I'm tired of the devil identifying who you are. I'm ready for the people of God to rise up and say, no, I'm not a sinner. I am God's chosen one. I used to be in sin. What's like a bird in prison I dwell? But thank God, he has rescued me. If you contrast that with the record in the book of Acts, Peter and John being released from prison, their backs still bleeding from the beatings. And the Bible says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They had a revelation of who they were. They were not prisoners. They were highly favored. I'm highly favored. We think we're highly favored whenever things going well. These guys had a revelation that they were highly favored because they just had their backs beaten. Well, I'm going to tell you what now. You've got to get a revelation that even when everything's going wrong in your life, God, you're still God. You're still in charge. You're still greater than anything in this world. You're bigger than the problem I'm facing. You're bigger than my problem on my job. You're bigger than the problem at home. You're bigger than the problem in my life, in my mind, my emotions, my perceptions, my flesh, my shortcomings, my mistakes, my faults. God is greater. God is greater. And I am his child. Oh, I feel God's giving you a revelation right now. You are the sons of God. You are a royal priesthood. And I want to say this this morning to this great congregation. You need to get a revelation that you're not missing out on anything serving God. I'm not sad because there are some places and some activities and some people that I refrain from. We're not suffering. We're not martyrs. And we don't have a martyr mentality. We are highly favored of God. I am blessed to be in God's presence today. I am blessed to be with a church that knows what it is to say thank you, Jesus, at all times. There's nobody holding a gun to my head. This is how I choose to live. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. There's nothing greater than being a child of God. There's nothing greater than joining the ranks of the redeemed. Whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You got to get a revelation 
you got to get a revelation. You're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That God is on your side. That he has set you free. Do you remember that old song we used to sing? He set me free. It said, once like a bird in prison I dwelt. No freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and listened to me. And glory to God. He set me free. He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. Is there anybody in this building that can stand to your feet today and you can say, he set me free? He set me free. Lord, I just want to rejoice in your house today. I thank you, God, that you broke the chains of sin. Woo, Jesus. Recognition, realization, revelation, and finally, resurrection. You got to get a resurrected spirit. That's the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not just being spirit-filled, but being spirit-led. Paul said in Romans, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they have become the sons of God. You want an identity change? You got to have a spirit change. It's time for a jailbreak. Do you recognize it? Do you realize that you can't do it on your own? And do you have a revelation that God's got more for you? Then it's time to get a resurrection spirit in your heart and in your life today. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to ask your neighbor this question. Do you want to escape the doldrums of life today? Come on, are you ready to escape the routine of what it's always been? If they say yes, say it's time for a jailbreak. It's time to be set free. I want you to ask your neighbor, have you received a resurrection spirit? That's the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Woo, hallelujah. Come on, folks, it's springtime. This is the time when all of nature is resurrected and coming out from under the cold, frozen ground of winter. It's time for something in your spirit to resurrect and to come up out of the winter, out of that time of hibernation. Come on, stand to your feet. You can't escape from prison. Sitting down, you got to get up on your feet. Woo, it's time to move. I said it's time to move. Come on, there's an address change. God's taking you to a new place today. Mm. Now I want you to ask your neighbor one more question. Ask them, have they received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Ask them right now. 
If they say no or if they even pause, I want you to take them by the hand right now and come right out into the aisle and walk right down here to the front. Woo! This is an altar call for everybody. We're going to do something right now we hadn't done, and I don't know ever. This is going to be for every single person. If you've never, ever received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you got first shot this morning. I want you to come, come down to the altar. In just a moment, we're going to all be here because God's going to do something supernatural right now, and everybody's going to get a jailbreak. I said everybody's going to get a jailbreak. If you can recognize it, realize it, get a revelation, and get a resurrected spirit, Come on, God's going to set you free today. You have struggled long enough. The devil has kept you in his clutches long enough. God's got something greater. Come on, take your neighbor by the hand. God's got something better for you. So everybody that's down here, they've never received the Holy Ghost. That means that everybody else in the audience has received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Is that right? Am I interpreting it right? All right, so then I need everybody else to come down and fill in between all these others. God's going to do something right now you ain't never seen before. Everybody else, you've got the Holy Ghost. I'm going to need you to come right now because we're going to all speak in tongues in just a moment. Everybody now, you've got the Holy Ghost. You spoke in tongues. I want you to come right now. Step out of where you're standing. Make your way down to this altar. Come on, everybody's got one wall or another we're trying to get over. I need you right now because we're going to create an atmosphere that's going to allow the Spirit of God to break in. If you have the Holy Ghost, I want you to come down to the front. If you can't get all the way here, just press out into the aisle. Those of you that are in the altar, just come right down. Get right up against the altar with your leg. Move so everybody can come. Oh, I want there to be an atmosphere right now. I feel like we're going to have an upper room experience. If you have ever in your life, ever in your life, spoken in tongues, I want you to raise your hand right now. Look at all that. For everybody that thinks there's no such thing as speaking in tongues, I want you to know there's enough evidence right there that stand up in any court of law. I'm talking about a multitude of witnesses. Now here's what we're going to do. I felt... When God gave me this message, God told me how to end this service. And I felt to do this on the Holy Ghost, and, and I've never wavered from it because I felt like God is in this. Here's what we're going to do right now. If you've received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, in just a moment we're all going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray in tongues. I said, I want to ask you to pray in tongues. And not like, you know... I lay me down to sleep. I want you to lift your head and set your voice like a trumpet. Because there's something about when you speak in tongues, it reminds the devil that he has lost you, that you've got a heavenly spirit, that you are not in his prison. You ought not to be afraid of it. You can speak in tongues at Walmart. You can speak in tongues in your college, in Kaiser College, in your school.
Those of you that have never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I want you to begin to lift your hands and I want you to begin to just speak out whatever's in your heart. Whatever you say is okay. But I'm going to ask you to jump the line. Go past logic, go past reason, and go with the flow and jump the line. And let God give you that heavenly language right now. Are you ready, church? Come on, First Pentecostal Church. Come on, saints of God, the Redeemer. Lift up your hands right now. Speak it out in tongues. That's it, that's it. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. That's it. That's it. That's the Holy Ghost. Once like a burning prison I dwelt, no freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and listened to me. Glory to God. Jump the line! Jump the line! God's got it for you!
Yes, 
Yes, Lord! Yes, Lord! Hallelujah!